This is Lego Football. Thanks for joining us on the Lego Football Podcast. You're with your host, David Farini. I've got Giancarlo Rinaldi, revered Italian football journalist, with me today to discuss Italy and Fiorentina. Welcome to the podcast, Giancarlo Rinaldi. He's all the way up in sunny, warm Dumfries in Scotland. Welcome. It's good to be here, although your description of sunny and warm, it, it was quite sunny today. Warm is probably pushing it a bit, but it's a, it's a nice it's a nice part of the world anyway. Warm is pushing it. Warm, I'm warmer down in Kent, but, uh, you know, I don't want to brag, but uh, being Australian, I need a slightly warmer climate in my life and can't wait to get back down under at some point. Look, let's talk about off the back of the World Cup, some Italian national team football and most people will be thinking what why would we talk about that but there were some interesting uh, events that took place in the past few weeks with the coach the ct the mister uh, roberto mancini with a big call up of lots and lots of players he's got two groups that he's called up to have a look at uh, you know during the world cup break and uh, to go beyond that just towards christmas and a lot of interesting names there. First, probably we should talk about Simone Pafundi, who got a call up and played about 90 seconds as a 16-year-old. It's not a bad effort to be called up to the Italian national side. He played against Albania. So what are your thoughts on Pafundi, who's with Udinese at the moment? The boy looks a talent. It's easy to get carried away at that age, but you know he was, he was setting records that um, went back about a century in terms of age for playing for Italy so you know that's got to be a mark of quality some some would say you know maybe that shows how little quality Italy have got that they're having to call up 16 year olds but he looks a talent from what you can judge on you know show deals and as you say not many not much time for Italy I thought in the brief time that he got he showed a fair bit of character I think that's all we can ask of a player of that age is to to want the ball, to look comfortable on the ball, um, you know, and not to look out of their depth. I think it's sometimes you get the sort of rabbit in the headlights effect of a young player and they just look overawed by by being there. But that wasn't the case with him. I thought he looked, you know, pretty accomplished in, in what I've seen. And, you know, I, I think going forward, it'll just be about getting game time. I, I, I'm always weary of getting carried away with these players. I think the last one was probably, if you remember, Hachim Mastur at Milan, and he was going to be the the next great thing for for Italy and for Milan and for whatever. And, you know, now I think he's playing in the Moroccan second division. So, you know, it, it, it can all go wrong. It can all go wrong pretty quickly. Um, but um, the, the early signs are good for Pafundi. I, I think the key thing will be as with all young players, really, finding somewhere where he gets to play football. I think the danger is that, you know, he gets hyped up and some a bigger club than Udinese comes in for him, he makes a big transfer and then he's just sitting on the bench for, for you know, for weeks on end. I think it'd be better for his development if he can stay at Udinese or, you know, move around to a club of similar stature. But just to be playing football all the time would be the key. He looks a lovely player on the ball, but he's got to he's got to develop as well. And that's that's important. You know, and with so many players getting called up, I mean I don't know about you, David, but 
I was disappointed not to see my own name on the list when 66 came out. I thought Rinaldi might be in there, Ferini sneaking in too, you know, but we weren't, we weren't put in. I think he's, the emphasis is definitely on youth. Yeah, I didn't get the copy and paste group text from Roberto Mancini. Maybe he's found my birth certificate and realised uh, I'm over the age of 27. But everyone else under that age that has been playing Serie A or Serie B with an Italian passport did get this kind of copy and paste message that, you know, you've been called up and do you want to come and play a bit of football with me? It's kind of like when your your friends are too short at the uh, five-a-side local tournament that they play in week in, week out, because, you know, someone's got a hangover or whatever, and then you get the call up to come and fill in. Uh, a lot of these players might feel that way, but I'm sure they're all honoured. And to be honest, um, if Mancini wasn't doing this, we'd probably be complaining that he wasn't proactive enough. So, this uh, whole scenario that now he's at the stage where he wants to have a look at anyone with uh, a little bit of quality. And there will be players that don't have the quality, uh, the intelligence to be playing national team football. And yeah, your reference before to, to some of these young players that have come and gone and they've had big reputations and they've failed. You know, there's even a 14-year-old going around social media at the moment that's playing junior football for Milan and apparently he scored a couple of goals for the under-19s in a friendly, but you just, you can't judge and put the pressure on these kids at this age. You know, it's like us asking 16-year-olds to vote in a national election for a prime minister. You just cannot put the responsibility on these kids. There's too much pressure on them, I think, and they should be allowed to have their childhood and then towards the age of 16, 17, you know, even up to 18, they start to feel what it's like to become a professional footballer uh, as long as they've had a good education as well because you can't sacrifice that. So this Francesco Camarda at uh, Milan, 14 years old, 90 goals in, at the Milan Academy. And now we've got Pafundi who's actually there at 16 years of age. And there's that long, long list. So is there anyone in that list that you could perhaps point out maybe two or three players. I mean, Pofundi's only played one or two minutes of national team football and only 22 minutes of Serie A, and he hasn't even appeared this year in 2022-23. So is this a case of sort of stabbing around in the dark for Roberto Mancini, and what players can you see there? I don't think it's stabbing around in the dark so much as casting the net as widely as possible. You know, we've grumbled in the past, I think, or people have grumbled in the past about maybe Italy missing out on players or not not looking, you know, I think national team football now, so many countries have, you know, cast the net really wide to get anyone who is eligible to play to ensure they're not missing out on talent. And maybe Italy's been a bit slow to to that particular party. And I think this is Mancini. One, I think he's saying, look, we missed out on the World Cup. I'm taking it seriously, you know, that we want to get back to where Italy should be. But two, I think he's saying that, you know, we're, we too are going to look at everyone that um, we can to make sure that we don't miss out. And I think, you know, I noticed what he said after they'd met was that, you know, it's one thing to see the show deal or to see them even on television or whatever is another to meet them in the flesh and get to know them as people. And I think that touches on what you're saying about letting them develop as as people as well as players. You know, he needs to get a sense of 
what these boys are like uh, and the men that they can become kind of thing. So I think it's quite important from that point of view. I mean, one that caught the eye, I think, obviously, was Cesare Casadei that's at Chelsea now. You know, but I do worry for him that, you know, that that's what I was saying about Pafundi, that, you know, what sort of game time is he going to get there? Not not sure. One one player I can speak about is um, Alessandro Bianco at, at Fiorentina, who'd only just started to feature in the first team um, and mostly in sort of games where the, the results already decided, you know, it's a, a sort of been a gentle introduction for him. But he looks uh, an accomplished midfielder and he looks, you know, what I was saying earlier about character on the ball. I think um, he's got it, you know, and he doesn't, he wasn't afraid to kind of demand the ball and pass the ball. Doesn't do anything particularly fancy, but one of those midfielders that will link up play nicely for you. So, you know, that 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 caught my eye. And then I suppose the other one was, well, it's two for the price of one with the, the Vignato brothers as well, Samueli and Emmanuel, the Italian-Brazilians. You know, they're quite exciting prospects as well. But so young that it's, it's impossible to know what, what players they'll become. But I think it's quite nice that... Um, for the Mancini's actually, you know, taking a look at all these boys and and seeing them close up. I think that's the thing is that they feel, you know, they'll feel part of the national team setup, and he gets a he gets a better idea of what they're what they're like as as people as well as as well as footballers. Yeah, well, all these players have been brought in under the under seventeens, eighteens, nineteens, twenties, or twenty ones. So that is the positive. They're not just being thrown into some senior national team setup. They're all still coming in as young players together in these training camps under Mancini. So he's getting a good look. Do you think Roberto Mancini was spurred on also by the fact that some Serie B players did go to the World Cup with other nations? And Boled Kadira at Bari is a good example there with Morocco. He got good game time. He impressed a lot of people, lots of pace, physicality. He was the leading, well, and still is the leading Capo uh, Cananieri for this season, the leading goal scorer in Serie B with Bardi. So there is a positive there that perhaps you don't need to be looking in the top divisions. We've seen it with Toto Scilacci, you know, 30-something years ago, and now Kedida's there, and he didn't have the same effect as a Scalacci in a World Cup, but, you know, find a diamond in the rough. I, th- I think so, because I think Serie B is quite a good shop window for Italian players. You know, it's not as foreigner heavy as 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 Serie A is, you know, and you've not got your top teams are not all stacked with foreigners of, you know, debatable quality at some of the sides. You might say the top teams maybe have, have some of the best, but you know, there are other teams that are maybe just stacked with foreigners that aren't, you know, particularly outstanding. So yeah, no, it's a it's a good place for them to cut their teeth and, and learn the training. It's a tough old it's a tough old division, very, very competitive, you know, and now they've got uh, we I mean we call it on the Rigori podcast, my podcast with my cousin, we call it the, the division of world champions because you've got so many World Cup winners involved in that in that league in, in managerial and and playing. We've still got, you know, the, the Gilardino, De Rossi, Inzaghi, all these you know, they five different the World Cup winners as as managers now in Serie B, so you're you're definitely getting some good um, expertise passed on to you as well. So you know, I think it's just daft not to look 
everywhere you can. The, 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 you know, as I say, what you what you find then that's a that's a different issue. But I think you've got to be and look. There was um, Lorenzo Luca that that's now gone to Ajax, but he was tearing it up in in Serie B as well. You know, so you've got to be aware that there could be players there that you know you're you're not you're not picking up on and then you know then a world cup or a european nations can be a major shop window for them to to make the leap forward into into Serie A so I, I don't think you know I think he's tried to say I've got a, a clean slate here I'm not going to be kind of swayed you know in the past Italian managers often used to ignore if not just Serie B but if you went overseas that was kind of it your career was done um, you know that was it you were out of the national team reckoning but I think that's just crazy if you're if you're good enough you know then then get you in there and, and there are plenty of players whose national team performance kind of exceeds what they do with their club as well you know I think you, you can quite often see a player that just for whatever reason um, slots in at, at national team level and, and you know outperform I mean, for some reason Emanuele Giaccherini springs to mind as a player that probably did more for the national team than he ever did at club level you know there are just players who, who slot into a national team and do a job um, that that you know their their club performances might not might not suggest. So you know I think it's it's good to, it's good to look what it bears in terms of fruit in years to come. We'll we'll wait and see. But you know having watched a bit more Serie B in the past few weeks because um, there was no Serie A on and no Italy at the World Cup. You know it's been it's been refreshing to see that there is you know there is Italian talent there. A lot of it on loan from from bigger clubs but you know that's if they're making their bones as they say in Italy then so much the better yeah exactly and some of those players you mentioned before we'll go back just a few minutes to Cesare Casadei included in the Guardians yearly next generation list we saw him score that bomb of a goal recently I think it was for the Chelsea under 19s or, or actually I think it was the Chelsea under 23s but he scored a really good goal of late, so of course he, he made the headlines considering there was no club football, uh, not for English Premier League sides anyway uh, to to follow, so people were following the under-23s. So he's brought some attention to himself. Roberto Mancini would have loved to see that as well. You mentioned the Vignato brothers. Emmanuel is with Bologna. Samuele is with Monza. Samuele is much younger. Now, he's got bigger raps on him, I think. Emmanuel had big raps upon him. He hasn't come through to the senior side, and he is now into his early 20s. Samuel is still 17, 18, and he did get a goal in Serie B last season. He's in Serie A now, not getting as many minutes. Therefore, it's good to see Roberto Mancini bring him in to get a better look at him. And Bianco with Fiorentina still hasn't played a game this season, I, I believe. But he needs to see if these guys can play and communicate with each other. And Pafundi, going back to Simone Pafundi, his family is actually from Napoli and he's been compared to Lionel Messi previously as the next up-and-coming Lionel Messi. And I've, you know, in his highlights, you see that he's got a little bit of that game where he's very intuitive and intelligent and he's got good peripheral vision. He's short. He can control the ball close to his body, gets it out from under his feet and he does have that composure to know where on the ball that he's uh, making contact to place it at the far corner. 
on those slight diagonal angles from just outside the box. So he does play as an attacking midfielder or to the right of the striker. And so he can cut back in. He's a left-footed player. 16, turning 17. He's got a cap for the Italian national team. That's a big positive. There were some other names that were called up, like Scalvini, that was brought in by Mancini recently as well, who's quite young. Fagioli there as well. Some of the Ricci and the likes of Miretti as well. So there are some steps forward, but some of the names in this long, long list, you know, we're talking Antonino Gallo from Lecce. Uh, we're talking Giacomo Faticanti from Roma. A lot of people would never have seen any of these players on a pitch. They've all been sort of dragged in into this big open net, as you've called it. But there are some absolute gems in there. Tommaso Baldanzi from Empoli, Nicolo Casale from Lazio. So some serious contenders here. Lorenzo Luca, as you mentioned before, great season in Serie B, at least for the first three months. Then he fizzled out a little bit. He was still important for Pisa in their push for promotion, but he's ended up now in the Eredivisie. Still doesn't form part of the starting 11, hardly ever features off the bench. And, you know, you've got Pirola, uh, the ex-Inter, ex-Monza, now with Salernitana. Quagliato, who's actually quality at left-back for Cremonese. He flips in and out with Valeri, and I think Valeri got a call-up here. Uh, Baschirotto at Lecce. So some great players there. Michael Kaneseki, he's got big raps on him as the next maybe ear to Donnarumma in goal. Oh, definitely. I'm keen to see... Carnesecchi and Fagioli in the same team, that's for sure. Maybe a, a slice of lasagna on the side and you'd have a you'd have a nice meal. You'd have a nice meal in that in that team of, of, of That's the, the Italian buffet. That's the, right. The recipe, yep. the uh, the full menu that Giancarlo Rinaldi, chef Giancarlo just brought that out. <laughs> Everyone can sit there and, and have some fine dining. That, that's a great call. But also uh, Michael Fullerunsho in there, who's devastating, ball carrier for Bali as well. And Bali doing okay this season. We'll get to Serie B as uh, we want to bring up uh, your poor cousin and we'll talk about your pod as well. You cover a bit of Serie B while there was no Serie A, so that's good. And you usually do cover a bit of the second division because you, you follow Venezia when your cousin's on. Uh, a lot of Serie B players in this list. Samuel Giovane at Ascoli, Molatieri at Frosinone, Hans Nicolussi Caviglia at Sutirol. Sutirol, great story. Uh, this season, now up in the playoff contention. But Nicolussi Caviglia was a Juventus junior that never really got a run and had some injuries. He went on loan to Parma last season, didn't get very far. There's Eddie Salcedo, the interman now at Bari, but playing second fiddle there. So he might have to move on. Let's go to La Viola, Fiorentina. They played a few friendlies in this period. So, I mean, I just want to bring up one in particular. And I love this team because whenever uh, I'm bored and I'm on uh, one of those live score apps, you know, flash score, whatever it is, I always like to just check random leagues so you can see, you know, Albanian league. Uh, Bolivian league is one of my favorites because of the names of the club. And Fiorentina got a big 9-0 win over Always Ready from the Bolivian league at the Artemio Franchi in, on the 7th of December. And that that's one of my favorites club names I think they were they were not so ready yeah yeah always <laughs> ready for a hiding sempre pronti siamo and uh, there's another great team in there as well in the it's called the Primera División of Bolivia and I've got a Bolivian friend 
based in Milan as well, and I always bring this up, the strongest. They are top of the table right now, so they're living up to the expectation in Bolivia. Um, always ready, second at the moment on 51 points. And if we have a look down, I've, I've got the list here. Uh, there's another team called Blooming. I'm assuming there were some people with English surnames that went over. Uh, there's also a club called Jorge Wilstermann. So I'm assuming Jorge developed something in Bolivia or perhaps was a, an immigrant that, you know, did good things. So, yeah, some great sides, uh, at least the names. I, I did actually click onto a live stream of the Bolivian League once so I could check it out. And let's just say that wasn't really worth my time, but it was great to see a bit of uh, Bolivian you know, action, the, the strongest versus always ready. But we'll move on. We'll talk about Fiorentina. What's your take on them so far this season up until match day 15? Well, it's been, it's been a very mixed bag, you know, it's been pretty inconsistent. The, the, the Conference League being a, a consolation, I think, that, you know, to get through there, although, I mean, the, the group that they had, I always felt they should they should be getting through from from that group, but um, it's been very inconsistent, really. That's the the bottom line, and you know, I, I think maybe um, the break was probably not a bad thing for them. Although it might prove to be a bad thing because one of their key players had a rather good World Cup in the in the shape of Sofia Amrabat. So um, I, I was raving about him before the World Cup and unfortunately he lived up to the hype really and now and now he's been linked with 40 to 50 million pound transfers Kitching. So, uh, it's uh, you know it, 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 of course it would be a nice um, money spinner for Fiorentina but it would punch a big hole in the in the midfield he's been pretty immense in that role in front of the defence just sweeping up everything and going on the occasional mad run and he's kind of made he's made Fiorentini forget about Lucas Torreira who you know they were all so upset um, when he they, they couldn't reach a deal to keep him in the summer yeah that's a great point but but you know it turns turns out that the for once <laughs> I think everyone would have to admit that Rocco Comiso and the team got it right that uh, Amrabat was ready to take on that that role and he's been he's been fantastic um, in it. So, you know, he's been one of the standouts. I think one of the standout issues for Fiorentina is finding a striker to replace Dusan Vlaovic. They've obviously got two for the price of one. In fact, well, two for about half of the price of one, really, um, in Luka Jovic and Artur Cabral. But neither has really delivered what they would have hoped for. I think I think you could see Jovic probably has done a bit more, certainly this season. He's he's played more, he's scored more goals, especially in the in the conference league. Um and, you know, unlike Amrabat, he did the decent thing and stayed on the bench for most of the World Cup. He even managed to he even managed to pick up a booking without coming off the bench, Jovic, which is always uh, quite an achievement. He has got a little bit of a, a temper on him, a bit of a of a character. But I think that's that's an issue for Fiorentina. I mean, the the great news out of this um, break was the return of Gaetano Castrovilli to action in in a friendly this week. That if you remember, he suffered a very serious injury, and on the scoreboard he, he is now as well. Yeah, yeah, and got a goal as well. So it was just you know that was a nice moment. Obviously, with 
players coming back from serious injury, you're always worried. You've got to be careful. You know, you hope you've got to dose their time out, and you're always wincing a bit whenever there's a a strong challenge on them. But you know, he's certainly a big a big return for Fiorentina, and potentially for Italy as well. If he can refine the form he had a couple of seasons ago, it, it, it had slipped away a bit. I think it would be fair to say. Um, but but you know if he can get back to the levels that he was at, then that's like, you know that's like having a whole new player for Fiorentina. And it would give. I think that's uh, the one thing that uh, they've struggled with. I think is being kind of unpredictable. They they've lost um, Nico Gonzalez, been injured a lot. Ricardo Sotil been injured a lot, and they lost a fair bit of their unpredictability by losing those players. Um, but you know if in the break. Um, so Teal's had an operation uh, if they can get these boys back with Jonathan Ikone there to kind of provide a, a bit of a dash of madness and inspiration from the wing as well then you know they can potentially have quite an exciting attack and um, it's been up and down there's been criticisms of Vincenzo Italiano but you know I'd say we're just about at pass marks with Fiorentina overall so far this season I think everyone in Florence really would expect them to kick on now and start to um, move up the table and and get themselves back into into European contention. It's not easy with the games coming so thick and fast and being involved in in Europe, which is something they're not used to um, for for a number of seasons. Then you know it won't be easy. But I, I think they have the squad. You know, again, that's with a big caveat. You know, what what if January? big names come calling and take people away then there could be another rebuilding job done but if if on the assumption that they can keep the squad together I think they're I think they're sitting lower in Serie A than they should be at the moment and you know they, they can go on a a reasonable run and and move themselves up the table if they if they get these players back and all playing in in, in their best form Sure, and they're sitting in tenth at the moment. They've lost half a dozen in Serie A. They've done well in the Europa Conference League. Uh, they're next going to take on Braga in February. There, they got through the group relatively unscathed, even though they stuttered at the beginning. One-one uh, draw with RFS and a three-nil away loss in Istanbul. But then they won four straight, and uh, they're through to the knockout round. So we'll see how they go there. Going back to your point about Jovic and Cabral, I mean, Vlaovic has moved on and he's kind of started there as well. So all three strikers are kind of in limbo where they have a couple of good weeks and then they sort of just dissolve back into the squad and Juventus have had to turn to other players to get goals. You know, your Rabios, for example, or Keane. And uh, Fiorentina have had to find goals throughout the squad. I think the leading goal scorer at the moment is Jovic and um, no, it's Giacomo Bonaventura with three goals, is it? Yeah, I think you could be right, yeah. So they're in need of, of an outright marksman up forward. He's a devastating kind of striker, the, the likes of Vlaovic, because by the time Vlaovic left halfway through last season for 75 million, he'd scored 17 goals and then moved on in January. And since then, when you look at Fiorentina's performance, they finished off the season well enough to scrape in and get that Conference League spot. And it was with Torreira's absence. Did he suffer a, a small minor injury towards the back half of last season? And then Amrabat got his opportunity back into the side. And I remember I was given a lot of Fiorentina games at that stage of last season for the Serie A World Feed commentary. And 
I remember seeing Amrabat making all the difference in midfield, absolutely pulling strings, uh, what an architect he was. And then Torreira came back in and there was a real dilemma over who was going to play where. So Torreira obviously finished the season as the number one. All the signs pointed to him making his move permanent. Instead, he's off in the Turkish Super League now with Galatasaray and Dries Mertens. So Amrabat's had to make this position just sitting in front of the defence, side to side, the metronome that can dictate play. He's covering in defence when, you know, the likes of Milenkovic pushes up for a corner. All these facets to his game that are really, really helping the Viola and Vincenzo Italiano. I think Italiano has been blessed to have such a long list of midfielders because we've seen others move on as well. But you've had Simon Zerkowski come back from Empoli, uh, Yusuf Mahlez there as well, Alfred Duncan. These are all class midfielders, in my opinion. So that's the luxury that Italiano has. Uh, Mandragora is there. Uh, Antonin Barak has joined. Obviously, they all play in slightly different positions. But now that Castrovilli is back as well, Castrovilli is is a really talented midfielder. And we saw him, he, he went and won a, a medal at the Euro 2020. He didn't have a massive part, but he got some minutes. So all these players are there. My concern would be not up front. I think it's actually at the back and possibly in goal. Terracciano's there, Golini's there as well as your two goalkeepers and they will continue to rotate I think and one might be drawn more towards UEFA games until Fiorentina either either knocked out. I don't want to say inevitably because I hope they go all the way but there are good players at the back but I think if there is a problem it is at the back and it might just be the depth at centre-half, Milenkovic is world-class. We all know that. Yeah, they're always good for a blunder at the back. I think that's the thing, is that teams know we'll, we'll just hang on, we'll sit in, we'll let Fiorentina pass it around a lot, and eventually somebody will drop a clanger at the back, we'll get a goal, and that's it. They can't speed up, they don't know, they don't have that acceleration to break down a, a team that's well organised and that that was certainly a pattern in a number of games in the first half of the season that you know they, they know to wait, to hang on and then there'll be a there'll be a blunder um, and, and they can get in there and they've never really, I mean that the, the Igor-Milenkovic partnership in central defence was pretty solid towards the end of last season but, but, but they just seemed to you know, tinkering with that really, sometimes through injury, through suspension, or just through sheer number of fixtures. But you know, it's not been it's not been straightforward. Uh, I see this week that um, Lorenzo Venuti's contract not being renewed, so he may well leave in January or in the summer. I think I think the Golini deal. You know, there's certainly a, a lot of suggestion that that. You know they might cut their losses on that and let him go as well. You know I think that's just a loan deal anyway. So um, it's never really worked out particularly well. There's there a lot of talk of maybe looking at Cranio going forward, who's uh, from Tuscany, I think originally. So he'd be a great pickup. You know, so the, the, somebody like that, just to give. I, I mean, I feel a bit sorry for Terracciano because I think he's just not a he's not a glamorous name, but he's been a pretty decent goalkeeper for Fiorentina Golini's really been the one that's made blunders this season Terracciano is not he's not flashy he's not fashionable but he's a pretty decent keeper but I think you know if you have ambitions of going up the table and, and being in European contention you probably do need a 
a much more solid option in, in goals, you know, um, a bigger name, if you will. And and you're right, the defence is a concern. I think the full-back particularly, you know, Dodo hasn't really had a, a, a long run in the team. I think Biragi is pretty solid at, at left-back and, and can always deliver you a few goals as well with those free kicks. Um, so, you know, a, a good man to have. But right-back's been more of an issue and remains an issue. And just... Settling on a, I, I always think that uh, your central defensive partnership and goalkeeper are kind of key to any team. They have to have a good understanding. They have to be rock solid, and that's not been the case for Fiorentina this season. There's too many times caught out, um, balls over the top, or as I say, mistakes. And you know that's something that they will need to sort out if they've got serious hopes of getting towards the top six or seven by the by the end of the season. Well, one positive that we can end on with Fiorentina is the reintroduction, the reintegration of Christian Kwame, who's been really good, the Ivorian, back at Fiorentina after spending last season away at Anderlecht, eight goals there in 31 games. So I've seen him play. I've done a couple of Fiorentina games this season as well, and he's been quite good. He's been there in the absence of Nicolas Gonzalez, who's obviously the big hitter that Fiorentina fans want to see out there for as many minutes, you know, every game that's possible. But I think Kwame's come in and he's filled that void. He offers something different and can double up as a second striker. So even in transition or um, you might go back into a defensive mode but leave someone like a Kwame on the halfway line and you've got players like uh, Ikone and Jovic that can go back and defend or you can have Jovic and Kwame both up there ready for a counter-attack. And I think that's a dimension to Italiano's tactic. We've seen him even with Spezia. He likes the counter-attacking game at specific times of games. It might be a five, ten-minute period when he's prepared to sit back, have a compact defence and just leave one or two players you know, there or thereabouts around midfield or halfway line. So I think Christian Kwame is a great reintroduction. It's kind of almost like a 10, 15 million euro signing that you've just brought back in. He looks a reinvigorated player after leaving for Belgium. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, he's been a player transformed because the the, the first incarnation of Kwame at Fiorentina was, I mean, I think the... The Bambi on ice definition was not yeah. a bad one for him. He just he looked like his 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 legs or his his brain didn't know what his legs were trying to do or whatever. But um, since he's come back, he has been a player transformed, and he really has, um, uh, you know, with an attack that's been struggling. He's been one of the one of the stars of that. Really, you know, he scored a cracking overhead kick in the conference league and yeah just he, he's got a good attitude I think that's the thing he's got he's willing to chase every ball down he does a lot of the the dirty work that maybe a Jovic doesn't really fancy doing um, and and he never gives a defence piece and he's he's willing to take risks as well which is what you want from a player in the final third I think you want them to take a gamble you want them to try you know, the, the the outrageous flick or kick or whatever. And, and, you know, if it goes wrong, try it again, try it again. And I think he's an example of that just coming to fruition and maybe, you know, a bit of patience has paid off there because he looks a, he looks a much better prospect than he did the first time around. He has matured. He's 25 years old now and he's got a goal for his country, Ivory Coast, as well. So he's starting to mature in my eyes. I remember back in 2018, 2019, when he scored three or four goals back at Genoa. And then it was hyped up because it was on the back of 
this Christoph Piatek little series at Genoa where he scored a whole bag of goals. And then Genoa were looking to get the next Piatek to move on and make a, a quick 30 million out of as well. And I think Kwame fell victim to that. Fiorentina brought him in didn't work out. He was never prolific at Genoa. He scored 13 goals at Cittadella in the 2017-18 season in Serie B. But, you know, that's in 47 games. At Genoa, he scored four in 39 in the first season, five in 12, which is where he was, you know, gradually getting a move on. And then he ended up at Fiorentina in the back half of the 2019-20 season, scored a goal in seven appearances. Okay, it's not the worst thing in the world, but then two in 36. So then he went off to the to Underlecht and, and did okay. He scored eight and thirty-one in the Belgian Pro League and thirteen in all competitions, which is not too bad. He scored five in the Belgian Cup. So look, he's back. I think he's doing rather well, and I think it's a great addition and a surprise in my eyes. I thought he would just be a bit part squad player and maybe get a few minutes in the Conference League. But credit to Kwame, who's been phenomenal. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's been as you see, like getting a new player, and really that's same. Uh, sometimes you you cut your losses with these players and get rid of them, but at least at least he was one that's gone out on loan and it seems to have done him good. And he's he's come back and he's given, as I say, at a time when strikers have been struggling. And he's given an air of unpredictability to the attack that it really, it very badly needed. Well, thank you for joining us for this Lega Football special with Giancarlo Rinaldi. You can find him at Jinkers on Twitter. We'll be back with a Serie B update and that interview series with Hakan Sukur. You can find me at David Farini underscore on Twitter. You can follow the pod at Lega Football. I'm sure you've all got your Antonio Di Natale sweaters on for the Christmas season. Buon Natale a tutti. Ci sentiamo. This is Lego Football.